Hello and welcome to my podcast, How I Teach Golf. My name's Duncan Walger and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of How I Teach Golf. Uh, today I'm speaking to the European Asian Tour representation for James Siegman's Your Short Game Solution. Um, a challenge tour, L.E.T., Asian tour, um, uh, representative for James Siegman, uh, Matthew Tipper. Matthew, how are you? I'm very good, Duncan. How are you? Thank you for your patience. No problem at all. I, like I said um, off air, well, I've been trying to get you on for ages because uh, I remember I remember being out in Poland with uh, my good friend Kev, Kevin Flynn. We were doing a a plain truth uh, presentation, and you were doing, I think at the time, you were with David Ledbetter, is that right? I was, yeah. I was um, fortunate enough to kind of be a student and a coach for for David Ledbetter for over 12 years, I think, in total. So yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed that, and i got to say thank you to both you and Kevin. I learned a lot as well from you guys, so thank you. No, no problem at all. I mean, how did you, I mean, we'll come on to the, to the, to the lead thing, I'm sure during the during our conversation. But how did you get into the game of golf? Uh, first of all, you know, completely from the beginning. Um, probably no different to anybody else. Uh, I was lucky enough. My friends played. I was lucky enough to be live literally five minutes from Pylon Kenfig Golf Club in South Wales, which um, hosted. I think it's hosted now four British Amateur Championships. Okay. Um, and then right next door was Royal Porth Call. Um, so we weren't spoiled for challenges, I can tell you that. Uh, <laughs> and, but my, my first love was cricket for a long time. I played for Wales at cricket at a junior level. Um, got really overplayed at such a young level. My friends were golfing. I missed it being with my friends. And literally, I quit playing cricket at 14 and started to take golf seriously at 15. And were you, uh, were you more of a batsman or bowler? I was an all-rounder uh, more than anything. I was either sent, sent in to get a quick, quick 30 or tie up an end. Okay, so then how did you find the transfer from cricket to, to, to golf? Because, you know, with the straight bat and all that type of thing with the, with the cricket, forward defensives and all, all of that sort of stuff, how did you... How did you find the transfer over to the, you know, the full release of a golf swing, as it were? Um, it wasn't that bad for me because, you know, if you think about it now, a lot of the sequencing that you would do in cricket is kind of similar in golf. Yeah. So that bit I knew. I had an awful grip. So that, <laughs> that's pretty good. I, I very rarely saw the left-hand side of the golf course as a kid. Okay. Um, so that was a big challenge for me. Um but the, I think the, apart from that, it was a pretty straightforward. It was a case of that I never played. I was, yeah. playing, I was playing cricket all the time, seven days a week as a kid, which was way too much. Um, and then once I transitioned, you know, the golf course being five minutes down the road, my parents would drop me off at eight o'clock in the morning and pick me up at seven o'clock at night. So Brilliant. I eventually, you know, I went from, I was a 22 handicap at, at 14 and a five handicap by 15. Brilliant. So, and then, where, uh, what age did you stay amateur for a while, or did you turn pro pretty quick? What was your transition? Um, yeah, I, I got down to I turned pro at eighteen, nineteen. Um, I, I made the bold step of I was I was doing my A levels. I was studying to be a lawyer. 
that was where I wanted to be. And I was in class one day doing my doing land law, which for anybody, if you're struggling to sleep, just open up any document <laughs> on land law and you'll be gone in two seconds. Okay. And I, I just stood there, looked out the window at this sunshine and realized this is not for me. Okay. So I, uh, I went back and I, my, my original, my first coach, Peter Evans at Royal Puff Goal, yeah. He says, come and work in the shop for the rest of the summer and the season. See if you like it. And if you don't like it, you go back to school. Okay. And that was it. I was a professional golfer. Wow. So you never, like you said, you just never went back to school. I just never went in terms of university. No, I just, this, I realized, I knew in kind of 1994 that I wanted to be a golf coach. It was a very unconscious awareness, but I knew it then that I wanted to be a golf coach. Um, and it kind of manifested itself a bit further down the line, really. So you turned pro in 94? I didn't know. 94, I was 15, 16, doing my A-levels. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I passed my GCSEs, and as a prize, my parents said, we'll take you to the Open at Turnbury. Yeah. And I, was, I went there for two days, and I saw exactly one and, a half, one and a half holes of golf. I just sat on the practice ground all day, and I watched, at the time, David Ledbetter coming on with Nick Price, who actually won the Open that year, with yeah. Nick Faldo and all these players. And I just watched David Ledbetter, and I went, that's what I want to do. That's fantastic. So you, did you do all of your PGA training at Porth Court? I did, I did all my training at Pylon Kenfig through um, the head pro, Robert Evans, who, who was the head pro at the time, who I couldn't have asked to have, have a better mentor at the time. Who he, I think he's put like seven people through the PGA training, awesome. which is which is no mean feat. So I, I was back at my home club, which was great, um, and I finished my training and I graduated in two thousand and three, I think. And then what was your, what did you do after that? So you've got your PGA qualifications. Um, I then got my first job as a qualified pro in Dubai, which is not a bad start. No. Um, so I was at Nadal Sheba, which is no longer yeah. there now, but is now known as Maidan. Yeah. Uh, so I did. I was there for two years as a seasonal golf coach. Um, then I moved on to Portugal for a year, uh, and it was this time of the process that I was trying to then break into the Ledbetter uh, coaching man, coaching kind of system and, and methods. And back then, David had a very strict. Um, kind of policy of one in, one out. Okay. So, and he only generally tended to employ past students of, right. the, acad of the academy. So I just had to be patient. And I went to Portugal for a year. And then that magical phone call at the time came. And the option was China or Korea. Where do you want to go? Wow. So which did you choose? I chose China. I went to Mission Hills Golf Club um, in Shenzhen. Um, yeah which is just north, just north of Hong Kong. So everyone probably knows it as the biggest golf club in the world. It's got 218 holes, fabulous complex. So I was there for four years and that's when I did all my lead better training and senior certification and then up to director then. So then did you, did you learn the language as well or what was that? No, not a chance, not a chance. I kind of, I kind of learned the important words of please, thank you, beer and red wine. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> so that was that was the important things at the time. Wow. Okay. So you were there for four years. Yep. And then, so what year are we in now? Two thousand eight. 
Uh, we are, yeah. And, um, I left, yeah, it was 2008, no, 2009. Yeah. I, yeah, I went to, I spent, um, the, the Mission Hills um, Academy shut down, so I spent a year in Korea while trying to find a placement. And then 2010, I moved to Poland, and that's that's where we kind of crossed paths then, I think, in 2011, I think, maybe 2012. That's about right, 12, that would have been, yeah. Yep, so... Yeah. So I moved. I moved there um, to set up a Ledbetter Academy at Toyo Golf and Country Club, which is the base. Um, and then after two years, I, I left the Ledbetter organization and, and kind of like went out on my own. Okay. And then how did the how did the short game or the the association with James Seaman <clears throat> come about? Uh, it's probably uh, it's a really great story. Um, James always laughs at it when we when we tell it because he, he probably thought I was some crazy kid. But I've been a massive admirer of James for, for many, many years. And I've followed his stuff on kind of social media and YouTube and things like that. Uh-huh. And obviously, I knew that he did a lot of work and spent a lot of time with Seve, which is like, you can't buy that type of information. Then he released his book, yeah. uh, The Your Short Game Solution, which if anyone hasn't got it, it's an amazing read. Um, yeah. And yeah. I was just kind of feeling, you know, I wanted to get to the next level. I was passionate about short game because I had to be, because down downwind I couldn't hit it 250. So okay. I had to be able to, I had to be very good from 100 yards in or 120 yards in. So I was very passionate about it. And I read his, I read his book and I just said to myself, I need to get hold of this guy because this guy is amazing. Yeah. Um, and... I sat there and I thought to myself, I'm just going to give him a ring. I'm going to call him up out of the blue. And I did. And I poured my heart out to him and just said how much I loved his stuff. Amazing. I want to join you. I want to represent you. And he, he, I'm, t- I'm sure he thought I was mad. <laughs> um, and I said to him, look, I've got a really out-of-the-box idea. And I, he goes, go on then. And... I said, I want to represent you in Europe and Asia. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care what I've got to do. But I want to represent you in Europe and Asia. And he was like, oh, okay, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. And he took some convincing and he just said to me, okay, Matt, put your money where your mouth is, really. And he says, get on a plane and come and see me. Wow. So I did. So where, where, where did you go and how long were you there? Um, so this is what two years ago now, so two, two and a half years ago, yeah, it is, yeah. So I he basically said, I'm going to be in Naples, Florida. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to a seniors tour event for, for a day, for a day, and then I got a week of schools, which I'm doing, and some private lessons. He says, This is where I'm going to be, this is the hotel, up to you. So I booked everything within one hour of getting off the phone from him. <laughs> so it turned up at the hotel. <clears throat> yeah, he knew I was coming and all things like that. And, yeah. you know, it's the first time I met him and, well, just an amazing, absolutely amazing person, you know, someone who I would call inspirational to me. Um, and he, uh, you know, he tested me from the very beginning. From the very first time I met him, he was on me and really tested my knowledge. Did I have a good understanding of, of, of his process? And the yeah. culture and the culture that he wants to create, and he never let up for the whole week. 
um, that I was there and he tested me and put me in some very uncomfortable situations to really see me under pressure. And I hope, hopefully I passed. I think I passed. And, uh, hey, with and we, what you're doing now, you passed. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then the deal was made and that's probably, you know, you have certain, I'm sure you've had it yourself, Duncan. There's moments in your life when you're certainly in your coaching career, which are like an epiphany. Yeah. And it's like, um, that was definitely one of their moments. That's, I mean, that's awesome. So you've, you've done the week, you've come back. Now what do you do? Because without, with, you know, without being hopefully not sounding rude or anything like that, obviously I understood you as a, a full swing coach for David Ledbetter out in Poland. And then suddenly I saw that the profile has changed and you're a short game coach uh, for representing James Seekman. So mm -hmm. that obviously pricked my uh, enthusiasm uh, to get back in contact with you. Obviously, we've got a mutual friend in Cliff Goff. Yeah, and Steve Clay. Uh, you went and saw you went yeah, and you went and saw Cliff, and um, you did a bit of bit of chipping and bits and pieces with Clifford, and you know the way that his short game you transferred you know it transformed his short game skills a little bit there, and so that obviously you know piqued my enthusiasm to find out why you've done it and now obviously we know that you know you, you were just inspired by what James was saying and what he was doing and bits and pieces um, but you've you've now done this training and you've, and you've gone back to work as it were you've come back to reality now you've got some big decisions to make so what did you do? To be honest it was pretty easy to be honest it wasn't a, it wasn't a difficult thing to do it's like after this spending the week with James and then he sets the protocols right. You know, this is what I expect you to do. This is the learning I expect you to do. And the process and the plan was put in place and I follow that process and that plan to the letter. Okay. Um, so the beauty about it was, is that the short game that I coached before was basically 90% of what James did. Okay. It was so what what Jane, what I was able to do is kind of fill in the missing links to say, yeah, of, you know, certain, why, why I was doing things and teaching things with, with players. And I didn't really kind of like, what, what's so good about this system? What am I actually doing? So, and that's where this, in James's book, he talks about the opposite sequencing and things like that from a full swing yeah. to like a, a 10 yard shot. And I realized, you know, this is what I was coaching. And um, but I, though his book filled in the blanks for me, so I was already kind of a long way into his process anyway. It's just now it all became clear, and we just went full in. Then that was it. I was away. Brilliant. So you've you've got a client base of of people you've been teaching and coaching. Uh, you know some really top end players. Uh, did your relationship with them change? Did you notice that you weren't? doing full swing or what 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 kind of happened in your in, in your coaching business as it were um i still coach full swing um yeah. I, i'm not saying i don't coach full swing but when i'm when i'm coaching on tour my, my the, i only do short game okay um i'm no different to any other golf pro really you know most people want swing lessons they all want that magical 25 30 yards they think they're going to get uh -huh. uh, and stuff like that but when i'm out on tour um, the process is that I only I only coach short game because that's what I specialize in, um, and that's it. You know, 
I, I, you probably Adrian Moronk now, who's our, who's Poland's first European tour player. You know, I've coached him for nearly nine years now. Um, so I still teach him swing, yeah. purely purely because of we've been together for nine years. Yeah. Um, so I still do his swing um, in terms of uh, tour players, but any other tour players that I I have the wonderful opportunity to work with is only short game. So what happens with regards to contacting you? Where's your base now? And uh... Uh, well, the world at the moment, yeah. <laughs> which is great. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm lucky enough that uh, we still have our base in Poland, yeah. um, which we do. But majority of the time, I'm at Goodwood Golf and Country Club. Yes. Um, down in Sussex there, which is an absolutely incredible facility. Um, Thirty-six holes in the Sussex over the the Sussex Downs, which is amazing. So most of the time you, 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 you'll meet me at Goodwood. Okay. So how, if let's say that I want a short game lesson with yourself, Matthew, uh, would I contact you or Goodwood? You would contact me. Okay. So, um, you know, we have, we have kind of, we kind of have a different system. Uh, this is something that James really installed in me at the beginning is that we kind of do two things. One, I'm based at Goodwood, so I do a lot of stuff there. But the other thing that we tend to do is I also, I mainly travel to most people. Okay. So certainly with tour players um, and really top amateur golfers, you know, these, they're basically traveling all the time. So the last thing they want to do when they come home to their family or their girlfriends or, or partners is I need to get in a car again. I need to travel again to see my short game coach. Uh Uh-huh. So the one thing that we that I do is I say, look, I'll come to you. Yeah. You you provide the facility and I'll come to you. So it's kind of like giving them a chance to rest, be at home with their, their loved ones and their family, and not have to think about, damn, I've got to get in a car and go another five hours. Yeah. So so that's one, and oh, they can come to Goodwood. <laughs> Simple. Yeah. So let. How long is usually the first meeting, the first session? Uh, uh, with a with a tour pro, or with 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 with, with anyone. So uh, I I probably say with an amateur golfer, I'd like to spend probably about three hours. Yeah. Uh, with a with a top level amateur international tour player, generally a, a day or at least a couple of days. Okay. Just and to. Do they get? Do they receive anything before you meet them? Is there like a questionnaire, or is it a conversation on the phone, or via email? What? Uh... Yeah, re- really, it's, yeah, it's a conversation over the phone, really, of trying to address where they are. You know, wh- where's the phone call come from, really? Because that's you need to delve into why they've, why they've reached out and things like that. What's their culture, you know, things like what's their culture like? Do they understand their processes in terms of their short game? Um, and then from there, then I'm able to then start to work out how we're going to go forward. Okay, and then... Let's say we, we we meet. Uh, I'll come down to Goodwood. It's not too far from me, and I mm-hmm. and um, I'll first of all say a three-hour session. How would the session kind of start? Are we on the putting green in the bunker? Are we fifty yards away, or is it already already assessed with regards to a wants and needs basis? So you know, I'm not very good from twenty yards going over a bunker to a to a flag. Is it what what what's the What's the uh, what's the foul look like, as it were? Pretty much a typical day. The first thing I want to do is assess assess you. 
So yeah. I'd look at, you know, what's your mental state like? How do you train? Find out what you're good at and what you're not so good at. And then from there, then you start to develop a plan. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's do you understand your technique or don't you understand your technique? Do you know what your strategies are? Your, do you know how to adapt for different situations, et cetera? What are your, uh-huh. what are your training protocols and, and stuff like that? And then from there, then once we've kind of started to develop that kind of framework, we're then into, okay, say you have trouble. My, my chipping is not as good as it should be. So we then go into the chipping and, and then work out the things from there. And then from there, then you then are able to put a plan in place. Okay. So are you, do you put them in certain situations or would you, again, if it was me, would you put me in certain situations to find out what shots I can play, what ones I struggle with and, is that yeah, kind of, basically like a skills assessment, as it were? Yeah, basically, you know, you turn up once we've once we've kind of had the initial chat, you know, let's say, for instance, you said, look, my chipping around the green is not very good. Yeah. You know, so I just start I start tossing a few balls around uh-huh. and, you know, put you, you know, into the grain, uphill, downhill, side hill, into the rough, you know, short side you. And I would just be holding all your wedges in my hand and I would say, Show me what you do. Okay. And because that's the best way. It's for me, it's like I need to know what your thinking is before we even kind of start down the route of, okay, let's have a look at your technique. Because so many people want to go technique, 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 technique. Yeah. You know, and it might not be a technique. Yeah. It might be you're choosing the wrong club or you're in the wrong situation. You know, that's so I want to see what you're doing first before I kind of jump in and go. Yeah, it's a technique. Okay. Okay. And um, technology-wise, are you, are you filming? Are you using a launch monitor? Um, pressure mats? Anything like that? What's... Uh... Um, I, I have a track man. Yeah. Um, I use it a lot for distance wedges. Um, okay. Not so much... yards or 30 yards or... Yeah, really, it's from about 30 yards out, really more than yeah. anything, you know, is that even though, the, you know, the launch monitors and things like that are getting better and better every every day, they're still not 100% accurate, say, from 10 yards. Uh-huh. You know, they're, they're very, very good, but they're not always there. And, you know, if, if you need it, you know, if you need a if you need a launch monitor from 10 yards. <laughs> yeah. I'm really starting to worry, to be honest, because, you know, 10 yards and out is about judgment, isn't it, really, more than anything? Yeah. You know, it's just assessing the lie, is there wind, what's the green light, the slope, the trajectory you want to hit. If you think, if, you, if you're trying to process all that and then try to think to yourself, well, I need to be, I want to go six degrees down, I want to have this amount of lift through the ball, and I've got to get on this part of the club face, you're in a mess. Yeah, you know, so I, I, it becomes valuable for me from about thirty yards out. Okay, Um, and then similar with bunkers, or not with regards to technology, but are you, are you putting people in lots of different situations in a bunker, like under the lip, ball above feet, plug lie? Yeah, uh, yeah, you got to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer of, you know, you got to make a player uncomfortable. Yeah, you know, you got to take them out of the comfort zone. You know, any most you know most golfers can splash it out from a nice flat lie in the middle of the bunker. 
you know, of yep. a reasonable level, you know. So, unfortunately, when you do hit it in a bunker, how often does it go in the middle on a nice clean lie? Not very often. Well, not when I hit them in there anyway. So, <laughs> so you know, you've got to get them under the lip, on the side hill, downhills. And again, you're looking for, do you know how to adapt your setup to play the shot? Because you have to. And it's not, so you're looking at then the... Uh, their knowledge of how to play a bunker shot. Do you looking at? Do you know how to train properly for this situation? Or when you do train your bunker play, do you simply just drop a bunch of balls in the middle on perfect lies and hit them? Yeah. So it's really a case of, you know, getting them to understand. I want to see. What, I want to see what you can do. And then is that and when on the batting green? Are you doing lots of different? Levels? Parts breaking, parts. What's the? What yeah, are you but you're, putting. Well, you know this. Your know, putting is obviously a very important part of the game, and you know what are the two, three key things of putting? One, starting it online. Yeah. Green reading speed. Yeah. You know those are the three. Those are the three kind of key elements. If you can do those three things very well, then chances are you're going to be a pretty good putter and then setting setting the fundamentals around that then you know so good setup is very important you know is your stroke well but returning the putter back to your intended target line all the time is obviously a huge huge bonus and just getting people to do that so whether that you know means you know you put starting gates down or things like that, or you, James's famous drill is the dime drill, where you just put a small coin out in front of the ball on your intended start line, and can you simply hit hit that hit that dime? It's an American dime that we use. Yeah. Um, it's probably just a bit smaller than a five-pence piece, probably. Yeah. Um, you know, and a, some, something as simple as, can you hit that dime? Can you yeah. start your putter online? You know, so if you, if you hit a dime... I'd say 30 to 40 centimeters in front of you on your start line at 10 feet of the reasonable speed is going in. Uh-huh. So if you can't do that, if you can't hit that dime, then you're in trouble straight away, yeah? Yeah. So then you can reverse that and say, look, if you can't hit the dime, then we've got to look at either face angle at address or something during the stroke of this, or it could be bought. It could be a whole multitude of things, but... yeah. You know, there's you, you, a big flaw in the technique. Yeah, you just work it back. Then you just go through the process of work it back. Where's the problem lie? And most of the time, if I could say that there is a pattern developing, is sometimes the majority of the time it's either face alignment and address or poor green reading. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna go into with regards to do you use specific training aids? Do you have like a, a favorite three or a favorite five? training aids that you use throughout the short game. Uh, obviously, a dime would be one of them then. Dime would be one uh, for right hand. Uh, obviously, alignment sticks are really crucial for what we do. So get people set up correctly, make sure they're swinging on plane. Um, one thing one thing that most right-handed golfers, well, most people, is you know, right arm only swings. We find yeah. really amazing. Um, start gates are amazing. Uh, tee pegs, you know, with with short game, the the actual outlay of cost in training aids is actually for your average player is you'll find in your home. 
yeah, yeah it's pretty... uh, more than anything it's pretty simple yeah and is there um do you find there's any quite big myths or misconceptions whether it be about um teaching the short game or things about james or the short game in general is there any any anything that stands out to you um well i think Definitely, you know, in terms of finesse wedges or chipping, chipping as most people would know it is, I think how all of us were taught, you know, ball back, hands forward, keep the handle moving forward and think don't don't flip it or whatever we were told. You know, that's probably the biggest misconception yeah. that we see because you know, you're destroying your ability to use the bounce. Um, so that's probably the biggest. Stand open, you know, really open in a bunker. Yeah. That's probably another big one. Uh, in terms of with James, I think probably there's not much I think you can say that he's that is controversial about him. In fact, I would say there's nothing about him that's yeah. controversial. Some people talk about his talk of the sequence, uh-huh. um, how it's opposite and things like that, which is that's fine, you know. But it's pretty much been you know James is very much involved with the guys at TPI with Dr. Greg Rose and things like that, and yeah. You know, they got thousands and thousands of swings of chip of chipping on on file, and this is kind of where James got noticed by Greg Rose. Where what we actually do with our tour players, we actually give out uh, performance notes. Uh huh. Um, so in those performance notes is, you know, kind of, it's like a shortened version of the book, really. Yeah. And in those performance notes, it talks about you know our main things about obviously padding, finesse, bunker play, distance wedges training protocols and things like that. And in there is the picture of the sequence of how this, you know, the peak speeds and things like that. And that's really where Greg Rose, uh, James gave these notes to IK Kim, I think he was, um, I believe, who was the Open Champ, British Ladies, British Open Champion two years ago. And, yep. you know, in those notes is where James talks about how kind of like, the club moves faster in the start of the downswing than the lead arm and the body's quiet and all things like that. And that's where Greg Rose then got hold of kind of James and goes, oh my God, you just explained what we're seeing with some of the best chippers we've ever seen at TPI. Okay. So that's where it, so that's where it kind of all came from and things like that. So, you know, what Greg Rose noticed with all the best kind of chippers in the world that you know, James, you, that James, you know, like the Tom Panisi, Luke Donalds, your Patrick Harrington's, Corey Pavid, Steve Strickers, they all tended to have, when they put them on the 3D, they all tended to have this sequence. And that's where it all came from. So I think with, I think that's the only thing that probably kind of people talk about in terms of what James does, but uh-huh. uh, we we, t- we tend to see it works and it's been backed up. So that's the most important thing for us. So everyone that comes for a session, either with yourself or with James, uh, would receive one of these performance notebooks with their own individual performance plan, which is like, like you said, a condensed version of the book, but it's literally done specifically for them, but it will contain the... Like the not the three D report, but it will contain the, the 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 sequence for them to to process themselves. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it, you know. So we give a very detailed plan to everybody who comes with us. So 
Um, if somebody comes just for a chip for a finesse session, they'll get the finesse notes and then incorporate into that. Then we write everything down yeah. in the lesson. So that's very much specific to them. And then also from that, then we will then email every student a training plan. So the, the, the notes, just to be clear, the notes in the session, they take the notes. Yep. So with us, so we, we sit there together. Yeah. yeah, we sit down with each other and we write it down on the notes that we give them. So it's there. So we write it down in so they understand it. And then I reinf we reinforce those notes then with another email document all set out in a table and a plan with timings, how many reps they should do. So they have their block practice, their random practice and their games practice. Fantastic. And then... Uh, do they also receive videos and bits and pieces? Are you are you big video users or not? Yeah, we use V1. Um, yeah. So um, I'm a, I, I like using V1. James uses it quite a bit as well. Uh, and we, we video everybody and then send them, obviously, the befores, the drills that they do, obviously, so they can see them doing the drills, and we send them the afters. And obviously, for those who use V1 and all the other, other uh, analysis out there, we, we're speaking at the same time, so they don't forget everything. They don't forget anything. Excellent, excellent. So that that for me is a little good segue into because there's obviously so much research and knowledge with regards to block, random, variable, and mm -hmm. game like training and, and and all that. So what does what does Matthew do, or what have you been encouraged to do? You know, back in the days when you were with David, and now latterly with James so your continued ed education what are you what are you studying what are you looking into yourselves right now and uh, what advice would you give to other coaches to who are interested whether it be full swing or whether it be short game what uh, where would you kind of signpost them to 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 look um well I think the most important thing you know, I've used I've used this word a lot in over the last half hour but it's, it's, you have to create the culture yeah that's absolutely imperative. You have to create your culture and you have to have a plan. So how do, how do people, in, you know, from a golf perspective, how do people improve well, equipment, physically, mentally, technically? They can improve the quality effectiveness of the training, yeah? Yeah. So some of them are very easy to do. Um, and if they can start to do that, I think one of the most important things for young coaches is, is understand why you're doing it. That's really the most important thing I, I can really kind of say. Most people know what they do and they know how they do it. But yeah. do they really know why they're doing it? And that's really the main, the main thing that I w would have to, and really get, for young coaches, really get a really solid set of values that you believe in and, and stick to. You know, so would you get them to look broadly, kind of across lots of different systems and methods and read lots of books or attend seminars? Or would you kind of, uh, what's another way that they, they could kind of just find something that piques their, their uh, enthusiasm? What would? Yeah, I think, you know, there's so much information available today now. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah it's. You know, back in our back in, I think I can say back in our day, can't we? I think uh, you know it was it was a little 
bit before yours. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a case of we had to wait for the wait for the monthly golf monthly to come out. Yeah, yeah, you know. But there's so much information out there now, and you know, I think the way that I the way that I was able to represent James, I think for young teachers is just pick up the phone. Pick up yeah. the phone. Pick up the phone and make a phone call to somebody you admire, somebody you feel does really good stuff, and say, "Hey, any chance I can come watch you?" Yeah, you know, it's it's almost like you know you've got to you can't. Social media is great, and it's amazing. So, so much amazing information out there, and so many pros putting their information out there, which is amazing. And if you really admire them, pick up the phone and call them. Yeah. At the at the end of the day, they're just, yeah, they're just a human being. At the end of the day, and at the end of the day, what can they say? No. Yeah. That's it, you know. But you know, and if, and if they say no, then you probably didn't want to have an association with them, or they're just too busy, or there could be a whole multitude of reasons. But then just try and find someone else. Yeah, exactly. You know, for me, you know. I'm a strong believer, you know, I was given wonderful opportunities throughout my career by wonderful people. And if, if a young pro called me up and said, any chance I can come and shadow you, it's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No problem at all. So, um, and that, that's, that's really where I think young pros kind of really need to go. And I think the other thing is don't be afraid to mess up. Yeah. You know, you get, you're a human being. You're not a robot. Um, you know, don't don't be afraid of messing up. Don't make it. You know, if you mess up in a lesson, I've done it many, many times where I've got it wrong. And what I and for a young coach, and I was no different. You're almost like, oh my god, I've done it wrong. How the hell am I going to get myself out of this situation? <laughs> you know, and what I the best ever the best thing that ever happened for me was my director at Ledbetter, Paul Hode, who's an amazing guy. He just said, yeah. look, look, Matt, you're going to get it wrong. You're going to mess up. He says, if you're stuck, just ask for help. If you can't see it, just ask for help. And that was probably one of the best things that I probably learned over my careers is, right, okay, I, I'm seeing a swing. I, you know, when I was a young coach, and like, I've got no idea what's going on. I cannot see it. And I just asked for help. And... That's it. You know, as a young coach at 21, 22, you're not supposed to know everything. And no. I'm 40, I'm 40 years of age now, and I still don't know everything. No. And when I go into my box in the ground, I still won't know everything. No. <laughs> so no. you just got to just, re, you know, try to be in touch with as many different things as possible, not just golf, you know, going to, you know, learning about the human mind, the person, you know, a bit of mindfulness about who you are as a person and how people are as people and just really diverse yourself, not just, okay, you have to hit that position and you have to be in that that kind of situation. You know, the world, golf coaching has changed a lot. It's not just about hitting, you know, this is how it needs to be. Yeah, I mean, I watched, uh, I saw James's uh, presentation at the last two PJ of America's Teaching and Coaching Summits. And it, you know, as you as you said a, a, a lot in the in the in the podcast so far, and you know I've heard it from James is it's literally about creating a really good culture, put, surrounding yourself with a really good team. And I was re he put he put up the 
I think he put up like the team that he has available to him if he needs to ask questions. And yeah. it was huge. It was mm -hmm. huge. So like you said, creating that culture around the player, creating that team around the player. For yourself, Matthew, you just dived in a little bit to learning about mindfulness, how the brain works, how people learn, um, skill acquisition, that type of thing. Is that what you're currently looking into and expanding on? Or yeah, what's, it, what's it, Matthew into at the moment, as it were? Um, personal development is really high on my agenda at the moment. Um, trying to get in touch, getting, trying to help a player kind of find out who they are. Because yeah. I think a lot of the time when, when players kind of, certainly with elite players um, who go off track and you just think to yourself, hang on a minute, 12 months ago, you were top of the world. Yeah. And now you're languishing at 500 in the world, whatever it is, or you're in the, you know, what, what the hell is going on? And what I found is, you know, it's typical, yeah, the dealing with elite players, you're dealing with a lot of ego or any, any um, top level player. And, you know, the, the first thing that goes when, if a player is really in trouble and doesn't really understand they lost the the three C's go first. Yeah. The clubs go first, the coach goes second and the, the caddy also goes. Yeah. So they, they get changed <laughs> and then, then the manager gets changed and all things like that. And they're just on this hamster wheel and eventually they're on this hamster wheel of never ending search and story and they go the full circle. You know, and they end up back to where they are and they go and they just get further and further away. So one of the biggest things which is hard to tell to a really elite player and because it depends if they're ready to hear that, is that sometimes they're the problem. Okay. Um, which is a really, it's a brave thing to say. And I know it's a, maybe a bit controversial, but it really is sometimes it's true is that their level of consciousness at that time when they're making decisions is not where it was 12 months ago. And that could be for a major magnitude of things. You know, they could be, they could be injured. They could be having problems at home. Yeah. You know, a, a member, family member might be in a very bad way, which you never want to happen. You know, there could be a multiple of things that are going on, which people just simply don't know about. Uh -huh. And I think helping a player to be able to, you know, I coach some players who, you know, really struggle to talk to me and I can see I can see them that there's something wrong yeah and it's like they keep it in they keep it in and then their performance and they just get on that vicious circle so it's it remind do we have time yeah there's a really really amazing story um done by Simon Sinek who if anyone's not read Simon Sinek I highly recommend it yeah. um and back in the whatever century it was there was an epidemic kind of going around the world because the black, I think it's called the black death of childbirth. Yeah. So what would happen is that women would give birth to their child and then a few days later they would die. And like this was going on, going on, going on. And this was like, you know, the Renaissance world and the men of science and everything was, oh my God. And so what these doctors said, we have to find out a way of solving this problem. So... So what they would do is they would, they would um, do, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They would look at these people 
who had died. They would work on them and try to find the answer to them. And in the afternoon, they would go and deliver babies. Okay. And, and then that would continue. People kept on dying, so they'd keep on doing the system. And then one day, a young doctor, I think Wendelson, Wendell Holmes, I think his father was a senator in America, came up and said, guys, you guys are science, the most brilliant brains in the world. You're doing autopsies in the morning. You're not washing your equipment or your clothing, and then you're delivering babies at, in, the, in the afternoon. Guys, you guys are the problem. <laughs> and, and he was dismissed for 30 years. 30 so years? 30 years he was dismissed for. He says, you're crazy, you're young, you don't know what you're doing. 30 years later, another guy said, guys, you're not washing your clothing. And you're taking that disease into the delivery room and passing on. You're the problem. And once they started doing that, they eradicated this problem overnight. Huh. Overnight like that. So it's, it's one of the things I'm really passionate about is, I think it's helping players to kind of get in touch with who they are and what they really believe in and who they want to be. Yeah. And I think, and help them, you know, because it is a stressful world out there in terms of high professional golf and also in, in, the, in the world itself, you know. And if I can be a vehicle for them to speak to and pass their ideas to and kind of offload a little bit and give them a different perspective, then I think, you know, that's really important because we have a duty of care towards them. Yes. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and I I think that I think that goes all the way across, whether it be uh, your, you know, your businessman or someone who just wants to improve their short game, all the way through to the elite player, because golf can be a big part of their life, whether it be their profession or whether it be their hobby, it can be their release as well. But you know, I think as golf coaches, we have a we have a responsibility to, you know, to be able to help them, whether it be with their short game as it were or whether it be just to help them through difficulties on and off the golf course yeah it's I, it's something i'm really really passionate about at the moment and you know the, the time that i've spent you know i love watching people i i get to you know see them and you know certainly when i'm at a big amateur event or certainly at a tour event you know i'm looking at somebody and you, you can see something's not right yeah you just know, you just know, you might not even know them, but just the way their body language is, the way that they're doing it, where, you know, they're hitting amazing shots. And I mean, you know, we've, you know, we've seen enough good shots to know a good shot and they're just deflated. Yeah. And they're not in the moment. You just think to yourself, damn, I wonder what's on, I wonder what's on his mind or yeah. what's on her mind. And yeah. what's going on underneath there? What's going on underneath? Because I think, the more we can help develop that side of the game for players, I think we'll see a lot more kind of happier golfers, shall we say, on tour. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're, not, if you're not reading uh, Simon Sinek's books or watching his TED Talks or, or bits and pieces, um, are you listening to any, uh, any podcasts or things like that? Um, I, don't, um, I don't really listen to... I listen to your podcast, obviously. Uh, that's one I enjoy listening to. Um, but I'm I'm more of a reader, yeah. So I think you know I, I at anyone anywhere I go, there's always five books in my bag. 
um, that I that I want to keep reading. Um, I just find reading much more relaxing than kind of listening listening to yep. stuff more than anything. I um, so I'm I'm more of an avid I'm an avid reader more okay. than anything. Um, I'm a big believer in meditation, so I meditate a lot. Yes, um, that's a massive part of my life. So I try to meditate at least twice a day, um, which just helps me to kind of clear my mind as well because that's I, I need to be on point as well when I'm getting out there. And so, uh, yeah, things that I never did when I was 21, 22. Yes, oh, it's fantastic. And then uh, if you had the opportunity to play one more round of golf with anyone that you wanted to play with, where would it be and who would it be with? Ah, right. I've been thinking about this question. So I'm. can I change the question a little? Yeah, of course you can. Can I, can I be like a walker? Can I have four people and I'm just walking? Yeah, because actually I would caddy. Yeah, I I'd, be... yeah. I'd rather come. Yeah. So um, I was thinking about it, and I think so. One, savvy, absolutely savvy. Yeah. Being a Welsh fan, I've got. I'd have to say Ian Woosnam. Okay. Uh, because uh, anybody who can hit a one eye, a, a, a Maraman one iron conductor, <laughs> the way he did, <laughs> is, and any young any young gun out there who thinks he's good. Go and find a Maraman one iron conductor and hit it 240 <laughs> with an old golf ball with a draw. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. And then I was kind of go, I'd, I'd, love, I'd love Nelson Mandela to be in that group. Okay. If yeah, he ever right. played golf. And I'd probably put Simon Sinek in there as well. That'd be an interesting conversation going around the golf course. Yeah. I think it would be a really, you know, it's like, you know, can you imagine, team, can you imagine teaming it up with Seve and Ian Woosnam and just thinking, I can't do what you guys do. I'll just be an embarrassment. Yeah. Uh, just talk to me and show me. That's enough. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. And then the other thing I let people do just at, towards the end of the podcast is that, that I kind of give you a minute to two minutes where you can thank, you can give shout outs or thanks to people that have helped you through your career. Uh, some of them that you've obviously already mentioned, but if you just want to uh, go over them, Again, and just uh, the podcast is yours, Matthew. Um, so, first of all, Duncan, thank you. I uh, really enjoyed that. Um, so, I'm probably going to go back to the early days, the people who gave me a chance, you know, Peter Evans and Robert Evans, down at Pilot Kenfig and, and Royal Puthcall, who kind of started me on the journey. Obviously, I'm indebted to David Ledbetter, who really is just an amazing guy, and really, he's the reason why we have why we can call golf instruction really a job, I think, more than anything. Uh, Jamie Donaldson from Aimpoint, he's probably one of my best friends, um, who's been incredibly helpful to, to my learning and things like that. Um, he's just brilliant. Uh, Bevis Moynan, who's kind of like my life coach, uh, who we've been kind of working together now for, I think, close on five years now, who just an amazing guy who's always been there, absolute inspiration to me and a, and a mentor. And obviously the final person um, who I have to mention is James Siegman, who is not just an incredible human being, but an absolute inspiration to me. And if I can be anything like him throughout my career, then I'll be a very, very happy man. And 
it's absolute honour and a privilege to represent who I consider to be one of the best coaches in the world, without a shadow of a doubt. Fantastic. I think, I think, that's, that, a, I think that's it. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then uh, how can people get hold of you, uh, Matthew, if they want to find out uh, how they can come down to Goodwood or if they want to have any questions for you, bits and pieces. So are you on all the social media handles? And if you are, just give them out. Yeah, so you got my, my Facebook. The, the Facebook is Matthew Tipper Golf Academy. Uh, the website is yourshortgamesolution.co.uk. Uh, Instagram is matthew.tippergolf. Um, the Twitter handle is Acad- at Academy Toya. And obviously then James, James Siegman's information, obviously he's on all social media. He's j- jsegolfacademy.com. On Instagram, he's james.siegman. And on Twitter, he's just James Siegman. Awesome. Matthew, personally, thanks very much for, obviously not just coming on the podcast, but you know, I've known you probably now coming up to, you know, eight years, I think it is. Um, yeah. Always enjoyed your company. You've always been very open to asking questions, uh, answering questions on and off air, as we call it. So through direct messaging or, you know, through through Twitter, I think is the main portal that I've ever asked you questions through. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, again, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Love watching uh, how your career is is literally, you know, taking off and long may it continue. And uh, maybe I'll see you out on tour or see you down at Goodwood at some point. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for your time. I really appreciate you inviting me on. And like I said, if if you or any anybody out there needs any help or just wants to reach out to ask a question, then feel free. Brilliant. Matthew, enjoy your weekend. I'll catch up with you soon, mate. Thank you, buddy. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye.